0: My point is that the the institutionalized force is causing the deaths because of this whole thing. And almost everything is due to the vaccine. 75%, 80% of it is due to the vaccine first dose and the remaining end up being due to the second dose. About 700 teachers were essentially killed in this process because they were put on election duty And for election duty, you basically have to go and manage the poll booth and do all of that. And in order to keep them safe, it was mandated that everybody who works with the election commission had to get vaccinated. And we lost 700 teachers to that.
1: Ready to live at the higher vibrations where peace, love, joy and good health are the daily standard? That's what this show is all about. Welcome to Vibe. And here's your host, Robin Openshaw. Hey, everyone. It's Robin Openshaw. Welcome back to the Vibe Show. Today is going to be a fun one because I get to introduce you to my dear friend, Gopi Krishna. Hey, Gopi. Hello. (laughs) So where he is, it's very early right now. We're a few hours apart, but we wanted to bring you the story of what's really happening in India because it's the perfect a uh, way to expose what the media is doing that's not just misleading. It's it's really straight-up lies. And and tomorrow night, well, while we're recording this, tomorrow night, Gopi's doing an in-person meeting to talk about it. Uh, so Gopi and I got to know each other because we were one of the very first uh, people to get very involved, roll our sleeves up. I think our first project we worked on is... um getting an attorney to do a class action lawsuit of business owners and we really we really failed at that why how, how what words would you put on why we couldn't make that happen
0: i think uh, everyone kind of went back into survival mode in in other words personal survival mode so the interest in doing something together was very low Uh, We tried many times to get people for meetings and uh, time and again, no shows. And
1: business owners, we were trying to get small business owners together to Mm -hmm. do a class action lawsuit. And we even had a lawyer and he was kind of rounding up other uh, Mm -hmm. legal help. And we wanted to do a class action lawsuit against the entities of the government that were doing the shutdowns.
0: Yeah. So, but that didn't go anywhere because it was very difficult to get uh, small businesses together in any form of coalition. Uh But uh, yeah, uh, the efforts are still ongoing. Hopefully they'll come together over the vaccine issue.
1: Yeah. So I think what we've figured out, because Gopi and I have tried really hard to organize small businesses, even though many of them are frustrated, they're so used to doing their own thing. They're so, they're such mavericks. In general, like you almost have to be wired like a maverick to be a small business owner. They're not really used to collaborating or coming together with other small business owners. And it has been extraordinarily difficult to try to get them as a coalition to do anything. But that's, that's been your big mission. What, what other things would you say your mission is? Cause you've, you've had your fingers in a lot of pies like I have, but what, what is most frustrating to you about the fight for freedom in Utah and in the U.S.?
0: Well, one of the big things is, uh, that people do get, um, pulled away a lot by, uh, low hanging fruit in a way. And, and there could be, there could be issues with, you know, uh, getting tied up in the whole party politics. You know, there could be, uh, the issues of uh, seeing the smaller issue, but not seeing the larger issue. For example, even uh, one of the biggest issues we have is how much the government ends up controlling the health sector and the educational sector that's the main issue and and uh, it's easy to lose sight of that main issue and focus on this particular thing or that particular thing and um, yeah it's it's basically the uh, the age old uh, uh, kind of difference between a knee-jerk reaction and a well thought out uh, uh, you know plan or a way of tackling the problem so those two things always tussle with each other. It's most of the time, the knee jerk wins out.
1: <laughs> yeah, and, and I don't think it helps that um, none of us knew each other before this all started, so we didn't know who the power players would be in Utah who are willing to actually put skin in the game and spend their time and spend their money and take personal risks and organize other people, and so we've had to find each other yeah. Over the last fifteen months, that's it, it, whereas it feels like the other side was completely well orchestrated, and they just had a steamroller ro- coming towards us. And for a long time, we were just turning around trying to outrun the steamroller or something. I don't know yeah. what metaphor to use, but yeah. Yeah. does it that's feel like that to you? Right. Yeah, <laughs> that's something about right. <laughs> and, it, and it's hard it's hard to get organized when a steamroller is chasing you. Yeah, exactly. And keeps catching the back of your heel. Yeah. you know. Now my metaphor is getting crazier as we go, but um, so the reason I had Gopi on is you guys should know that not only has he been incredibly invaluable in the fight for freedom in Utah from the jump and in so many different ways, like whatever's going on, whatever group I'm in of, you know, Utah's leaders who are the resistance, Gopi's always in it and he's always, he's always holding physical meetings. I don't, I think. Outside his job, like all he does is fight for Utah's freedom. There's no way you have time to have any kind of life with all the things that you're involved in. Um, but Gopi is a PhD physicist, you guys. And his parents in India are both medical doctors. So super dumb guy, really struggles with the IQ. <laughs> anyway, but comes from a great heritage, but he is from India. And what's going on in the media is what... I could talk to Gopi all day about what's going on in Utah and often do talk to Gopi all day about what's going on in Utah. But I want him to tell us what... Lay out for us what is the issue in India. What's the real issue in India? And what is the media telling people? Just go ahead and lay out the whole scenario for us.
0: Okay. So a bit of context here. So the way the whole covid scenario uh, unfolded in india has been quite different from the way it has unfolded in the us so it's the opposite side of the globe when the balance has been different so initially when uh, new york was going insane uh and you know there was there was a whole big uh you know Thunder and lightning in the in the media about all the all the crazy stuff going on in New York at that time, India was relatively calm in terms of the whole Covid wave, but at the same time, the government did crack down severely um, and they did continue cracking down, but you know people never really took it that seriously because they really were not seeing uh, that kind of, um, uh, you know, people dying or so on and so forth, even though there were a few, it was nowhere close. Like my parents were telling me like, okay, yeah, initially, uh, there was a bit of a wave, I guess. And then, the the beds were, uh, you know, getting occupied, but pretty soon it's like six months, seven months go by. And, uh, there was only one patient who passed away in the nearby hospital where my parents used to work. So it was it was reasonably on the lower end, and it was only when uh, fall came that there was a slight uptick. Again, nothing bigger than what used to happen before. But you also you also had several huge gatherings at the time, which I'll get into later. Uh, and none of those huge gatherings caused any sort of outbreak or any sort of uh, you know insane situation. Everybody was thinking, oh, this will make uh, hospitals get overwhelmed and so on and so forth and nothing did it so it it was still manageable.
1: Okay so not only are they holding huge gatherings but um, you know I remember I want to say it was in March or April of 2020 that the Prime Minister of India told everyone to, it was widely quoted in the media, to go inside and shut the door and forget what it co- feels like to come out. Yeah. He, yeah. he, he, it was the most extreme thing yeah. that I've heard any leader say. He was, you know, very forceful about it. And here you have 1.4 billion people, but I, I think I've read that 33 million of them live in dumps, like literally live on top of garbage. These are not people who can social distance. These aren't people who live in 2000 square foot homes. Not everyone. I mean, of course there's plenty of middle class and upper middle class, upper class people in, yeah. in India, but I'm just saying like there's a huge population. Who does not have the uh, the option to, you know? They're, they're just, they just there's just people in their space all the time, and yet yeah. India wasn't wasn't dying, or yeah. even reporting a lot of deaths.
0: Yeah, it was a very cruel thing because it's been um, it's been a kind of a pattern with this the recent several years, uh, ever since uh, Modi got into power as well, and they did it with the whole demonetization thing. It was called uh, like a policy by shock you just shock the people into a new habit you announce the previous day that by midnight the currency in your pocket is worthless you know this is this is how quickly the things get done they realize to move a large elephant like india they need to hit with a powerful shock and they have perfected that cruel technique and as a result, the same thing happened with demonetization, and the same thing happened with the coronavirus stuff so the
1: has this demonetization happened in the last year
0: uh not last year the a couple of years before that so they they ended up uh, trying to push everyone towards digital um, money and the way they did that was to just say it's kind of like if you if you're in the u s and Suddenly, you know, your $10, your $20, and your $100 um, are all gone. Like, they, their value is zero overnight, uh, unless you go and deposit them in the bank. And so it was this mass economic massacre that went out, went on. And the same thing happened with the COVID. Uh, so they, they sent out uh, teams of policemen who basically unleashed on the population because this is not a population that would socially distance by a long shot. So the way to do it, brute force. The sent out police who were literally beating people up in the streets and forcing them to stand apart and things like that. It was just the worst police state phase that we went through. Um, so that's that's unfortunately the deal uh, with Indians because we are in general a softer society socially uh, it gives leeway for, uh, the powers to kind of push us further, you know? Yeah. We get pushed harder.
1: So you're saying that the culture in India is to be, um, more passive and agreeable. Yeah. It's what's it's, it's socially rewarded to be agreeable and to go along with what the whole needs rather than your own individual needs. Is that, is that accurate?
0: Kind of. I mean, we do have a kind of uh, eclectic, uh, maverick nature to the whole population. But at the same time, there is there is a a big, um, you know, push, not so much a push. it's, It's more of a way of life of adjusting to the society quite often so you would always adjust to what your family wants you would always adjust to what uh, the general society would say to anything you do so these are strong factors they're not, they're not negligible they're probably not as insanely strong as it is in japan or china but it's nevertheless still a factor and uh, being sociable yes it's kind of in our dna you know it's it's that that just uh, uh, something that stands out immediately whenever you even deal with indians and that unfortunately, has been misused in this respect.
1: Okay, so back up to the money thing. Uh-huh. You had to go put your cash in the bank. You couldn't use cash money, but it's not like they demonetized the currency of India. It's that you had to put it in the um, bank. So this happened before what happened in the United States, where for a little while they tried to tell us we couldn't use cash. Remember yeah, that?
0: This is uh, right before COVID, because uh, I think it was in t- 2018. Um, and it was almost overnight. So the idea was the, the, well, the cover story was, Oh, there is a lot of black money that people have hoarded up. And we are going to do this in order to get rid of all the black money in India. So that was, that was the purported purpose, you know, the, that is, is, that is
1: black money like money that you got by doing something illegal that people yeah. are hiding so they're they're yeah. just holding wads of cash
0: yeah it's like the wads of cash it could be corruption money things you get from you know the regular corruption in the governmental jobs it could be many sources but essentially that was that was the reason and since uh, there was always a kind of um, you know agitation in the indian population with having to deal with corruption there was an angst that you could tap into. Uh, that was uh, kind of a devilishly brilliant move. So to direct the angst of the Indian population in the ch- proper channel and make this boogeyman called black money uh, uh, the target and say, in, if you want to hit this target, deposit your money in the banks. Or else if you hold them as cash from tomorrow, they're worthless.
1: Okay, so this is this is sounding to me like what I've been able to... I wasn't paying any attention to the media until 16 months ago. This sounds like what they're doing with what I see right now in the American media is this Asian hate story. Yeah. Right? Like, one day there's this Asian hate story. Now it's every day in the media. They're pushing it harder and harder and harder. And they're pretending that we have a big problem with psychos going crazy on... Asians because there's so much racism against Asians, even though none of us had ever heard of such a thing. None of us hate Asians. Asians are the most spectacularly successful minority ever to land in North America, I think. Um And it sounds to me like, and, and I think what they're doing is they're getting us so caught up in this story that when we see lots of these false flag events, that they'll take our guns that and they'll get the people to actually agree to it. Is this similar where this black money idea? They kept selling the idea that there's all this black money, and so we're just doing this to protect you. When yeah. really, what they were really doing is just trying to control money. Yeah, precisely. Okay.
0: Yeah, that is that's the best way to say it. And uh, unfortunately, everybody bought it um, and gave away all the money. I mean, we had some cash sitting that uh, we normally carry, you know, for travel purposes they go back to India, and then almost overnight uh, there was nothing you could do. The money just evaporated sitting sitting in a little bags because there was no way you could go home and you know exchange it for anything, so they just went off and that that sort of thing is uh, unfortunately become par for the course ever since uh, Modi got into uh, the whole the whole uh, top of the Indian governmental food chain. And I think he was very carefully picked because there was an American PR firm called APCO, APCO, that was heavily involved in giving him a huge whitewash, you know, to complete image makeover because he was actually, uh, one of the key people accused in the riots that took place in India. It was absolutely horrible in 2002. In the western part of India and he was basically the chief minister of that state, kind of like the governor over here. So he was pretty much in charge and he allowed that to happen and the United States cancelled his visa and did all that show of uh outrage. And then they rolled out the red carpet and called him straight into Times Square. He was in now.
1: Yeah, that's that's a good clue. Yep. That's a good clue of uh who who really was behind his yeah. Yeah. election if if y'all even have if y'all are even pretending to have democracy over over there like we are apparently now we're just pretending yeah. to be democratic okay so um i I could go sideways all day about the money thing because i think a lot of americans are worried about well what should i do with my money and i actually have some thoughts on that i'll be sharing them not quite ready yet but i've been working on something i have been re- really repositioning myself financially but it's kind of weird to ask a physicist that we called onto the show to talk about what's going on in India. What do you think about money? But since you're literally one of the smartest guys I know, Gopi, and if I see your phone calls, I always pick up. I've told you this. Most people's phone calls I ignore, if I'm being honest, just because I'm so swamped all the time. But if Gopi calls me, I'm like, he, he must have something important to tell me. Um, so what what's your thought about what to do with money in America? Do you think we're going to be in the same boat? Do you think we should put our cash in the bank?
0: I definitely think that uh, people have to figure out another way of investing uh, their money instead of you know just uh, stuffing it in the bank because number 1 we all know we can't trust banks and number 2 uh, the whole the whole inflation is going to come and hit one way or another with this enormous amount of money being pumped into the system there's that there is also the the kind of artificial uh, price rises being caused by supply chain breakings and hoardings, frankly. So you, you have you have all sorts of weird stuff going on. So it's definitely a huge, a huge uh, subject. Yeah, and I think it is. Okay, so
1: let's good. let's go to uh, India in the in the now. So you you said a year ago there was very very little in terms of cases and deaths, which my guess is that. That's because something weird was going on in New York. Something weird was going on in Wuhan. Yeah. Basically, there was very few cases worldwide. Please feel free to correct me. This is just what I, from everything I've been studying for 16 months. Basically, this is a pretty weak virus, except that in New York, some crazy stuff was going on in addition to the fact that there was this virus out there mm-hmm. and that, and that if they weren't pumping the numbers, everybody would have been like India or almost everybody would have been like India, which is to say not very many cases, not very many deaths. No one would have even known this thing was a thing if the media yeah. weren't pumping it. Am I right about that a year ago? And if that's, if that was true a year ago, what is going on right now? Because every day it's, it's, it's headlines about people are dropping dead. We all know that nobody drops dead on the street of COVID. You're not walking around one, one minute and and then, out on the sidewalk that they're i can't believe they're telling that lie i can't believe they are telling that lie again because they were showing us asian people just walking along and falling over and that terrified people that's not even how if you believe there's a covid virus a very specific a novel coronavirus we already know that's not how it works that you're walking around and you'd keel over dead but anyway that's that's the big question for you to tell us
0: so uh, the whatever the media is telling, it's being very, very carefully spun. So the it, what is true that is there is a surge of cases. What is not true is that people aren't dropping down dead in the streets because uh, the media has even used uh, some footage from a gas leak that took place in some place and used doubling that up. Uh, for COVID, so there's all kind of excesses going on in the reporting. However, there is a surge in cases, and uh, the reason is not not being told in any one of the major media. But you should know that on January 16, 2021, India began the world's biggest vaccine rollout, mm-hmm. and pretty soon, once that got underway, uh, within a month or so, you have this slowly building up, rise in cases. And it kept going up and up and up and up. And it is, in fact, very, very true that even right now, like as my parents tell me, um, the beds are not available. Sometimes they one or two become available. They get filled up like crazy. And this is in Bangalore, you know, one of the metropolitan areas. And it is similar in Bombay. Bangalore, Bombay, a few of the metro, metro areas have been the worst hit because. That is where the vaccination rollout has been the most effective. And the large populations go there, they get the vaccine, within a few days, they fall sick, they infect their whole family, and at the end of it all, you have an exponential rise, literally, in cases. And many of those people who do end up getting COVID because of the vaccine end up also dying from that same. And the denial is huge. This particular fact will not be touched by any major politician in India or any major news channel in India.
1: I was watching uh, Del Big Tree interview three healthcare workers. Oh, uh, yeah. Who I don't know if you saw that, but they've basically been thrown away, dismissed, blown off by Pfizer and Moderna. These are women who lost their careers, have yeah. lost their health, they have seizures constantly. Each of them, each of these three women who were in healthcare, um, they have mounting bills. Okay, Pfizer and Moderna aren't offering to pay for their bills. Um, doctors say, "I won't even take you because I don't know what to do with you," or they send in a psychiatrist. Oh
0: yeah.
1: yeah uh, so <laughs> yeah, so we have we have in the U.S. I don't think we have a corresponding spike in COVID cases. Probably the COVID cases that we do have. Um, are largely among the vaccinated, but we aren't seeing a case-demic like you are in India. I have my theory, and I'm sure neither one of us can prove it, but I'm curious what you think. I have my theory that, you know, when um, Pfizer and Moderna were doing their clinical trials, a uh, 100% of people taking the original shot had moderate to severe adverse events, like hospitalization, like very, very ill. And so what, what Pfizer did is they split it into two shots. Well, I believe both companies did that. They split it into two shots. So they take the toxicity and they spread it into two uh, doses. And the theory behind that being, well, you get the same effect, but just take a longer time to do it. Yeah. Of course now Pfizer has said, you know, sorry, guys, looks like you're going to need to get a, a third shot. Yeah. Um so my theory is that they sent the strong stuff to to India, India. Because I mean, these Gavi, Bill, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, whatever that's going to become now, whatever, as they get a divorce, it's going to be. Um, the vaccine industry in general, I feel like they've abused India for a long time. Yes. And they've used uh impoverished Indian families to do their Mass experiments. What do you think is going on there? Why is it we're not seeing a big case demic that corresponds to uh, vaccination? We're see. I bet. I bet we have more deaths, and they're just covering them up. All the all the people who are coming to me and telling me about deaths here in the United States, hundred percent of them are unreported to VARS. and I've had just dozens and dozens of them. Probably probably close to a hundred. People coming to me and saying, "Hey, my cousin, this happened, or my coworker, this happened, or my my brother." You know, yeah. I had I've mentioned it on this show before. The three women who followed me for well over a decade brought me. Uh, you know, our brother, a medical doctor, died right. less than two weeks after the Pfizer shot. No one's reporting it to VERS. None of these are being reported to VERS. The deaths are being attributed to something else. So, what's going on in India? I almost wonder if they're giving a different shot.
0: They they definitely are giving uh, different shots. So basically, there are two types of vaccines that have been rolled out in India. One of them is the AstraZeneca, um, which is uh, being banned by several countries in Europe. And right now, America is generously pouring a whole ton of AstraZeneca vaccines onto us. So there is that to to deal with. Secondly, the other vaccine that is called vaccine is primarily uh, an attenuated virus. Now, I don't know exactly which virus they have attenuated. I mean, I've tried looking it up, but I'm not sure about its potency. But the fact Atten- is...
1: Attenuated virus... Being different than like a live virus, like the oral polio vaccine that actually causes all the polio in the world. Yeah,
0: yeah. But uh, get this, in order to be attenuated, it has to be maintained consi- consistently between two to eight degrees Celsius. That's like, you know, between 35 and 45 or something like that, uh, Fahrenheit. And in an Indian heat, in the peak of summer, in the craziest you know, a tropical place that you can think of maintaining Mm -hmm. that temperature at a time when everything outside is uh, uh, easily, you know, 35, 40 Celsius, uh, close to 95, impossible. Just Mm -hmm. absolutely impossible. And essentially what you will end up doing by doing that is giving people the live virus.
1: Giving people the live virus. Okay. So you're saying AstraZeneca contains attenuated virus, or at least
0: no, no. Not- the uh, AstraZeneca is one of them. That's the whole adenovirus thing, uh, and the it uses a little bit of the mRNA type uh, mechanism. Whereas the other one, the the vaccine there's the COVID Shield of AstraZeneca and Covaxin, which is the attenuated virus, and they are both b- bad news, and that's combination i believe has been insane because for the most part uh, india i mean has always it's the nature of the place that tropical diseases would spread faster uh, even though we will also get a good bit of resistance also faster uh, the spreading is high in summer and uh, it's it's that's the thing it's very unnatural the way this is
1: being done okay so what your parents are actively practicing medicine yeah one's a general practitioner and one's an anesthesiologist right your yeah. mom's an anesthesiologist yeah so so what are they seeing and are they speaking up and are they getting in trouble or do they have to fly below the radar and be super careful
0: they have to be uh super careful they have pulled away from the hospital because there would have been mandatory vaccinations for all
1: re vaccinations. so they they they're just refusing to work in hospitals because they would be forced to be vaccinated
0: yeah they are doing it from the home on the phone hundreds of patients managing their reports on whatsapp or what have you it's completely uh, you know organic that way and the whole the whole thing has become um, one crazy crazy show especially with the forcing because you have the government departments like the police department they just had to all vaccinate and out of 40 45 contingent of people 30 passed away wait a minute wait so, a minute
1: you're talking about in the police departments yeah out of so, how many how many died
0: uh i think uh, they 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 put it out for 40 people i'll have to pull up the exact numbers and 30 30 passed away
1: 40 policemen were Injected with the vaccine, and 30 died.
0: Or maybe I have it wrong. Maybe out of the 40 people, 30 people had been just vaccinated with the first dose, and and the remaining were with the with the with the second dose as well. I think so. Ba- my point is that the the um the the institutionalized force is causing the deaths. Because of this whole thing and almost everything is due to the vaccine. 75%, 80% of it is due to the vaccine first dose and the remaining end up being due to the second dose. About 700 teachers were essentially killed in this process because they were put on election duty. And for election duty, you basically have to go and manage the poll booth and do all of that. And in order to keep them safe, It was mandated that everybody who works with the election commission had to get vaccinated and we lost 700 teachers to that.
1: I'm sure that you can't trust your media any more than we can trust ours. No. Did this get reported?
0: It's bought over by the biggest businessman in India who is also the fellow behind uh, putting Modi into power uh, monetarily. And uh, this is Ambani. Uh, the Reliance Industrial Group, and they have bought over pretty much all of the news networks in India. The five major news networks are owned by
1: these guys. So was it in the news that 700 teachers died after being vaccinated?
0: Not in the news directly. It was in the local news. So India being such a large country, it is not easy to maintain control at the local level. So you do hear about it in uh, the local language newspapers, you know, not in the English newspapers, but uh, in Gujarati, Hindi, you know, all different languages, they, they put it out. And um, the news reaches me or people like me mostly through Telegram groups and WhatsApp groups and these completely, you know, uh, uh decentralized way that's how you come to know so that's that's the that's the crazy part that there is a lot like that happening and uh, it's it's not well known in neither the one side or the other side you know kind of like the republican and democrat here neither the one side or the other side of the political wing will even touch this issue neither will this issue be touched by the staunch anti-industrialist faction of india like uh, you might have heard the name vandana shiva or uh, arundhati roy and these are very famous uh, writers and uh, activists they won't touch it with a 10 foot pole because you, it is, you mean
1: you mean the, the press would never interview vandana shiva or any of those others
0: no they themselves wouldn't even touch this question of the vaccine causing deaths with a 10-foot pole.
1: You don't think Vandana Shiva would talk about the vaccines?
0: You would think, because she's all against Gates all the time. But And right Monsanto. Now, and Monsanto. But while the same thing is being done to people, not a peep.
1: How do you think they're pulling that off? Getting India's greatest activists to be quite... Well, I ask that, and at the same time I'm asking it, I'm thinking, let me list some of them. Mark Hyman... Jeffrey Bland, Alan Christensen, Daniel amon I, I mean, I, I could keep going. I could sit here and list for you 15 of the biggest names in functional medicine and integrative medicine in the United States, and they have become vaccine pimps. Yep. Al- Alan Christensen, who is widely considered to be the father of integrative medicine and has been a good friend of mine, volunteered for the Pfizer trials. This is yeah. this is a man younger than me yeah. who shouldn't be in any significant danger from the virus that 99.85% of us survive. Right. And he enrolled himself into the Pfizer trials and then he wrote a blog post that said basically, yeah, I was I was re- I was really sick for a day and I couldn't work out and then you know I got better and so you know put your wine and get the shot yeah as as if that the only things we have to worry about are the short term effects and as if a, and as if a a, na- a doctor of um an nmd wouldn't know that how how are your parents so well educated to uh so i mean basically they're they've given up hof- hospital privileges and they can only do telemedicine till whenever yeah. yeah are they prepared to retire if they have to or or is is anybody putting any pressure on them in their jobs?
0: Well yeah they are te- they have technically pulled themselves away from the whole system um they have uh, they have a kind of a side business that they have run over the last 15 20 years you know building up uh, people's immunity by giving natural supplements and things like that so the income stream is thankfully decoupled from the main medical mainstream and so that has enabled them to continue to work, even though uh, they're not tied to a, a particular hospital. And what's their
1: they, What's their story? You know, I have had so many hundreds of people on the show who are medical doctors, and they bought in on the whole thing. Like I'm going into this field to save people, and then they get in. And they get really disenfranchised and demoralized by the fact that all they really are doing is matching up symptoms to drugs yeah. and matching up symptoms to codes that they can bill insurance companies. And they realize that they actually weren't even taught anything about health in yeah. medical school. They have to go self-educate outside. The I mean, it's a lot of time they spend in medical school and they come out of it not actually knowing anything about health. Yeah. What's your parents' story? Did they, when you were a little kid, how were you raised? Did you get all the vaccines and all that?
0: Uh, I guess I got a couple when I was a t- tiny kid. Uh, they were, they were fully in the mainstream for about 20 years. And then they kind of, uh, saw exactly what you were talking about and they started studying other things and um, there were books by Ray Strand, I think, you know, the what your doctor doesn't know about nutritional medicine can be killing you and things like that. So there were several books that they ended up reading and re-educating themselves on. And, uh, as a result, what they developed was a method of giving natural supplements, um, that complements whatever they do with the uh, allopathic drugs and, and they dropped down the allopathic drugs tremendously. Um, they would never give a lot to, to begin with, but still they they pulled it down even more and began to tailor make the combination for each individual patient. So my dad has this unique capacity to look at a blood test and recommend certain supplements for you, and so it's, it's this melding together of the traditional uh, allopathic uh, medicine which they have practiced. For a long time, along with the natural effects and the uh, more, you know, concentrated natural supplements being a big priority. So that combination and their background in that way helped them to see through this nonsense much faster than uh, any of their colleagues. They are completely ostracized in their apartment complex. People don't see them. People don't want to look at them. It's like the old, the old demon of India, untup- untouchability, you know rising up again out of the cave Um,
1: yeah is the cat so i remember studying in college the caste system of india and i was telling my husband last night that i was going to be interviewing you and he he said is that is are they in like a caste like is that still a thing i mean they have probably tried really hard to get rid of it in india right the caste system and if you if all of you don't know what i'm talking about it's basically that people are born into um you know str- the strata the different strata of the socioeconomic system where you could be in the upper class or you. Could, and there's names for it all like which yeah. were you born into a caste am i even allowed to ask you this question is it a bad question to ask
0: No it's not a bad question it i mean it had become less relevant in city life so yes uh, I was born in the what do you call the brahmin caste which is the priestly the priestly class and uh, that that in the olden days, that meant a big deal. And yes, uh, India has been trying to get away from it. But you should also remember that the whole caste system came about when uh, you, in the whole of culture, reincarnation was a very, very central theme. So in other words, you choose your life. Uh, in, in which case it means, say you decide to, uh, you know, in, in regular life, say you, you can, you can, you can go up to high school or you can go up to college or you can go up to a PhD or you can go beyond, you know, these are choices that you make in the life and based on those choices, the rest of your life goes. And Indians used to see that on a much larger scale. So Mm -hmm. if you choose to be born in a Brahmin caste, that means you have signed up for a life of learning if you have choose to be born in the Kshatriya caste, that means you have signed up for a life of fighting. So in this bigger worldview, it kind of made sense. But then once uh, that worldview went away, and obviously, uh, civilization moved on, this whole thing became destructive. And that's what you see with the rigidifying of the caste system that proceeded for many centuries. And um, it was only after the whole British era and the modernizing of India that those kind of ties began to slowly, very slowly uh, start being less relevant. But a big portion of that in the olden days was this this idea of the untouchable, the outcast. So Mm -hmm. because this was back in the day where you did not have jails, you did not have institutional institutionalized ways of punishing people that that is you know comparable to the modern system everything was social so even your system of punishment was social so be becoming an outcast and especially becoming an untouchable is the one of the most poisonous things that ever came into the society and even Today in pockets of uh, India it might have survived that uh, uh, in small rural places that even if the shadow of an untouchable person falls on you, you are made unclean and you have to go and have a bath Wow it's, it's yeah anyway. that's
1: that's very superstitious although any American who catches catches ourselves ourself judging that as superstitious. I would just like to point out that the whole entire idea that we could get injected with a bunch of chemicals and toxins and it will ward away demons we're no different like the whole the whole concept mm. I I mean the the whole idea of a vaccine is presented to us as science but it's such pseudoscience it does not hold up under scrutiny but this is fascinating what you're saying because you're telling me sort of what the background of the caste system is which actually sounds sort of romantic and and really cool in some ways, but then it, it sort of degenerated and it became a way, I don't know what it is about humans, but we seem to have a need to like put people in file folders and rank people top to bottom. For yeah. some reason we need to have the good ones and the bad ones, the ones that we seek out and we admire and the ones that we, you call them untouchables. And that's definitely like a, a there, there were casts that were the untouchables and they just, kind of have to go around in society with their head down because they were born into this cast first of all how could people see it how could people tell what cast you're in like do you have to wear uh, an arm armband no not really it was it was
0: kind of you know you would know kind of like how you would know from the village gossip who's doing what you would know who is mm-hmm. the who is from which cast
1: People and just figure it out. It's like when we meet each other and we say, what do you do for a living? That's like almost the first thing we ask, which of course is a way of slotting people, people trying to figure out, are you rich? Are you poor? Are you, yes. uh, are you this? Are you that? You know, or whatever. Um, whatever how are your,
0: yeah. And
1: how are your per- parents already been sort of labeled the untouchables just because people know they haven't been vaccinated? Is there a way in India to know if someone's been vaccinated or not? I think this is terrifying. And I hear people who are on my side of the fence that they think that the vaccine is dangerous and they think we should have a choice. I've heard them say, I think that people who are vaccinated should have to wear identification that they've been vaccinated because it's getting more and more obvious that just by being around someone who's freshly vaccinated, you actually may suffer health consequences yourself. I've actually experienced that myself. Um, But I, it's a slippery slope, you guys, like if we want the vaccinated to be you know, marked, they're going to mark us and there's going to come a time when people will throw things at us or at a minimum yell at us and call us names sometimes when we're out in public, if we're wearing the wrong armband color or whatever. So how how are your parents known as untouchables? They don't mask up. Because they don't mask up. Yeah.
0: Because I mean, it's been going on for a year now, right? And this whole thing is tremendously uh, uh, negative for the lungs, of course. And mm. so when they take walks and things like that, they don't mask up and people go, you know, you know, these guys don't mask up and they, they mumble and they whisper. And, and, but at the end of the day, when they fall sick, they come to my parents.
1: That's right. When they fall sick, they come to your parents. Listen, I had people who used to call my kids, um, what they call them, like the the pure vessels or whatever, because I wouldn't let it... I would go around at Halloween. I didn't do this every year. I found out other ways around the whole Halloween, my kids coming home with a bag of candy thing. But like I wouldn't put my kids in the church nursery because they would get sick and they would feed them garbage there. And I, if I put them in school, I would give the teacher alternative treats and say, my child is allergic to dairy and sugar. Do not give it to him. And so I was just that weirdo parent from a young age just because my kids were sick. But you know what's super crazy is a lot of the people who were like you said, if if you're listening to this rather than watching me and Gopi on video, where we're kind of like cupping our hand around our face, like oh, those people. I was that young mom where all the other moms are just like she's like a total weirdo, and you know, like she won't let you give her kids normal food. And anyways, uh, guess what? When they get sick, they come to me and they do my detox, and and I welcome them, and and that's fine. You know, yeah, all-
0: no, it's it's true, and and uh, that whole untouchability thing that you know your shadow shall not fall on me. Has been translated into modern terms into six foot distancing. Really? It's, that's what it is.
1: Okay. So, so they took, they took an artifact of Indian culture of if your shadow is cast on me, it affects me. And they use, they sort of use that to justify quote unquote social distancing. Yeah, I don't know
0: if it was directly taken from there or not, but effectively the social effect is identical because that's what you're doing. You're creating a new class of untouchables and you are creating the new class of the non-masked, non-vaccinated Uh, germ-full people or whatever. So that that whole old uh, stream that was there in India, and we know it has a devastating impact on society, is touted as the modern remedy in order to deal with coronavirus. So you can see how this kind of reversal will end up shredding society and it already has succeeded in shredding society to a large extent. These are well-worn techniques and it it was also kind of pulled off, pulled off um um in the global scale by this dynamic between united states and india even more than united states and china as a matter of fact china seems more like again a red herring uh in the way most people uh, deal with it because they they're not seeing the larger game at play uh because between india and united states there has been this consistent dynamic where a lot of the Tech companies in the United States uh, have Indians at their head. I don't know if you know that.
1: A lot of American companies have Indians at their head.
0: Yep, because I'll, let me give you examples. Like if you look at the IBM, right? The CEO is Arvind Krishna, uh, uh, who's basically an alumnus of the same institute I studied in. And then you have Sundar Pichai, who's uh, belonging to Google and Alphabet and all of that. He's Indian, Indian-American, Satya Nadella, CEO, Microsoft. What's that He's, about? Yeah, and then Adobe, you know? Adobe Inc. has MasterCard, has an Indian Indian uh, top person. Nokia has an Indian top person. And so it's, it just goes on and on and on and on. So it's for this whole project to move ahead, uh, the tech giants roped in Indians as the front-facing people and now when the whole COVID vaccination and the surveillance, most importantly, is being kicked in, uh, these key position people are very important. And the same thing is happening with the World Health Organization as well, because uh, Dr. Swaminathan, uh, who is also a lady, an in Indian, uh, she heads up, the. she is the chief scientist of the World Health Organization. And that's, that's the thing which is happening is once again, she's the daughter of the person who brought the green revolution in India. In other words, the pesticide scourge to India. And his daughter is now sitting at the top of the World Health Organization as the chief scientist. So this, this whole project has been prepared with this Indian and American collaboration. And that, that is what is uh, really scary because I am. I think the Indian population has become the test bed for this gigantic surveillance um, uh, deal because we already had the universal ID uh, thing pushed through, and we had uh, all the you know social distancing, and we had everybody putting the app on their phone and so on and so forth that you could you, see you mean,
1: at the be, you mean at the beginning of the scandemic they quickly were able to make that happen because it was kind yeah. of already there because you know like china already had that but are you saying that um india was a test bed for surveillance state whereas the united states they had to tread carefully with that because americans don't like that you know they they accept it when it comes to like their social media they just you know yeah. Click accept on the terms of service. They have no idea what those, what those are, um, or terms and conditions, whatever they're called, but they don't, they don't really want like a device tracking them. And they, yeah. they yeah. they've had to be careful with the U S and India was more accepting of it because they were already more down that path.
0: Yeah, they they were down that path because of Modi's uh, policies. You know, he had put these kind of things, kickstarted a whole bunch of these, almost as if he was preparing for this. Yes, you had you had uh, you had the universal ID. I mean, it is touted as a big technological uh, jump by all the all the talking heads that you see from the tech companies, and of course they are brilliant. Of course they are top of the game, and who wouldn't listen to them, right? And plus. The biggest, one of the biggest weapons being used right now is, uh, the misusing of the patriotic feeling. Because if you can use patriotism to blind people, nothing better than that. So you, you basically look at all these folks at the top of tech companies, then you feel proud as an Indian. Oh, look at that. Our folks are right up there with the, with the best of the best. And so, well, whatever comes out of their mouths becomes, uh, complete uh, uh, declarations by the Pope, uh, the technological popes. And so that filters down to the entire urban crowd in India. And the urban crowd in India, as well as the Indians who have come to the United States, are the biggest vaccine pushers you'll ever see right now.
1: India is the biggest vaccine pusher we've ever seen.
0: Uh, Urban India. Urban India, educated Indians, particularly from the southern part of India. Um, they become staunch advocates, and uh, I'll give you a classic case of the tragedy that happens when that takes takes on um, you know a larger scale. So there is a doctor uh, from Rutgers University called uh, Rajendra Kapila, and uh, he was the head of the infectious diseases department uh, at Rutgers, and uh, I mean he's Indian of course, and he ended up isolating himself for the entire year. Uh, last year in New Jersey. Wow. And he had to go to India just a couple of weeks ago, I think, because his dad, I believe, uh fell down and broke a hip or something. So it was basically some accident in the family. So he had to go. So he m- managed to get two Pfizer shots before he left. And just a few days later, he goes to India. He gets a heart attack. He's gone.
1: And I'm sure they called it a heart attack. So. They called it a heart attack. Yeah, where, yeah. Whereas if he would have died. of oh, blame, blame the variant.
0: Blame the variant, please. Blame Let's the variant. The
1: this variant story, they're really making hay with the idea of a variant. And I'm, I'm sure 99.9% of Americans don't realize that variants actually get less virulent, not more virulent. Just like Americans have no idea that the vast majority of people in senior care facilities, when they die... At the end, the pinky push that tips them over is generally a bacterial infection or a virus. Right. Those people don't know that. They think, oh my gosh, this virus is killing the elderly. Okay. They've always died of viruses and it's because they're elderly mm. and they have lots and lots of other things that are taxing their immune system. You know, like maybe they went through three years of chemotherapy or whatever. Anyways, it's uh, it's it's interesting um, what you said is that it's yeah. actually the, um, most educated Indians, uh, in the southern part that are the biggest vaccine pushers. And I, I really did this, this, uh, subject. Um, we did it really well with Dr. Mark Crispin Miller, Miller of New York University, who is a tenured professor who's just been put in a corner, not allowed to teach because he dared to question the math mythology, mask mythology. And his entire department has just closed ranks against him, colluded with students to, um, to shut him up all because he questioned the masks. And so, you know, I, I've been texting him information about the, va- the vaccine too. Uh, gosh, if he starts speaking out against that, that he's just, it's the intelligentsia yeah. who is the most pro mask pro-vaccine, you almost cannot talk them out of it. It's almost like you're taking all the books they've read in their whole life and ripping them out of their hands. Yeah. You're like robbing yeah. them of the thing that's most important to them. Yeah, it, It's almost like you're robbing them of, of their their uh, identity of being smart.
0: Yeah, it is, it is that way. And I think one of the things like the tragedy like this can happen is because uh, the education system develops your intellect Um, but it doesn't take into account that your heart has to keep in tune with the intellect and the two generally diverge in different directions and once you once you take the heart out out of the human being in a way um, then you have warped them and because once you're warped you lose that in healthy sense of common sense you lose that healthy feeling for truth you lose a lot of things plus you add to that the fact that your intellect is completely hooked up to the giant, gigantic institution so you basically think what they think while thinking that you're educated so this uh, institutionalization of learning uh, becomes a very easy thing to kind of simply plug into and you can you can be very smart you can be very intelligent but a lot of your smartness and intelligence is institutional. It is not your own. Everybody who goes through that simply imbibes it. And you can all talk very smart. You can all use the best jargon in the world. But at the end of the day, it is not your own intelligence. You haven't struggled through to those thoughts yourself. You have taken them and swallowed them up. So this detachment of the inner heart of the human being combined with the with the, you know, institutionalization of the intellect, that's a bad combination. That's, Indians fall prey to that, I think, worse than most because there's, there's a very heartfelt culture that they come from, which is very familial, very, uh, very, um, anchored in festivals and social activities and so on. Uh, it is, Kind of unthinkable for many Indians to say that. Oh, mostly Americans see their parents during Thanksgiving break. It's like, oh, wait, what? <laughs> we see them every day or every week. I mean, it's it's very uh, different culture. So, but when those guys uh, swallow this whole line, hook, lime, and sinker, the damage is way more. And I think that's that's one of the key moving forces in the world today of uh, using the educated Indians to give that. Uh, Boston Brahmin, actual Brahmin kind of uh, validity to the whatever project you're running. And this is the same for the COVID vaccine project.
1: Interesting. What do you, um, what else do you wish that, to wrap up, what do you wish that Americans knew about what's really going on in India? Anything that we missed?
0: Yeah, I think they should know that, yeah, in spite of the large uh, gatherings for, for farmers' protests with thousands of farmers sitting in the streets for months on end, there was no outbreak. There was no outbreak when some of the biggest festivals in India were being celebrated. In fact, there were also no outbreaks following any, uh, infections, uh, uh sorry, following any of the, um, festivals, which should have led to infections. But the biggest outbreak has been after the vaccine. That's a big, big takeaway. And it's also should be something that is, the, that should help us break through the blinding patriotism, you know, because we've already been blinded. It's like, oh, it happens in Russia. It happens in China. It happens in North Korea. We don't have to worry about it. You know, that attitude has become kind of uh, ingrained in many societies, not just American, but even other other countries. And that's coming back to bite you in a big way and biting all of us in a big way. So we don't have the luxury anymore of simply ignoring what is happening in another corner of the world because it's an essential part of what's happening everywhere. So that, I think, is a is a key point I wanted to communicate.
1: Yeah, you've mentioned a couple of times the misuse of patriotism or blinding patriotism. And I've been watching that in the U.S., is that they've actually, you know, they've like taken words and turned their meaning upside down and good is bad and bad is good and right is wrong and wrong is right. But yeah. pa- patriotism, for instance you know, what it used to mean is now disparaged as nationalism, but what it used to mean is I'm really grateful to live in a country where we have democracy. Well, they can't, they can't have us focusing on that anymore because that is not in fact the case anymore. And so now what it seems to be is actually a really sick, uh, mantra of communism, which is basically that I laid down my own personal interests for the, for the common good or for the greater good. Is that the kind of twisted patriotism you're seeing in India as well?
0: Yeah, it's it's across the board. And I don't know if you are much of a Harry Potter fan, but uh, uh, one of the biggest dark magicians in, in that uh, series, his name was Gellert Grindelwald. And he came from uh, a place where his mantra or motto was, for the greater good. And that was, that was the mantra under which he did all his atrocities as a dark magician. So this, as a dark wizard. So this, this thing has been, um, kickstarted, um, across the globe. And it was first put in place about a hundred years ago with World War one, where the national boundaries were drawn and that's where the prison cells were created. And now they figured out how to lock them. So suddenly the, the apartment complex, which you are living in, Turns into a prison complex because you lost control of the keys, and that's that's the scary thing is people don't realize the same thing is happening internally, mentally. That uh, if you if you get stuck right now in in the blinded version of patriotism of any country, it doesn't matter which corner of the world you live in, um, you are throwing away the key.
1: Beautifully put. One other question for you: What's it been like to be? Uh, raised Hindu on another continent and be not only in the United States, but in Utah, smack in the middle of mostly Mormons. Yeah. How's that been for you? Uh,
0: <laughs> it's been several, several uh, cultural shocks uh, layered on top of one another. <laughs>
1: <laughs> because, because like when we have meetings, you know, when, when John and I were in town for like 12 days and we were just doing lots and lots of meetings and we had some, parties for the Freedom Fighters and got a little think tank, you and a few other people together um, to talk about like, how can we, you know, like some of the things that are on GOPI's in my mind, just so y'all can know what we're looking at for the future is having private membership associations where those of us who want to live a different way, where we want to live um, where there is freedom, where our children can play sports without masks on, where um, we can do you know, we can seek out a physician like Gopi's parents who aren't just completely hijacked by the, you know, limitations of the pharmaceutical model. Um, and we're talking about food independence and getting some food supply chains that are very simple and that we can tap into. And if nothing else, there's drop points for people to pick up. And And Gopi's not the only one involved in it, but I'm really going to be um, watching your work there. Gopi, as we we come home, John and I come home June 1st, to sell our house in Park City, but we're just moving our stuff to another property we own in Lehigh. So don't anybody say that I've abandoned Utah because I've worked as hard for Utah, except that I can't show up at things in person living here in Florida. But we our heart is in Utah. Um, and you've been amazing, but I, so often I'm like, you know, we have these big parties and everybody there forgets that not everybody in the room is LGS or Mormon. And uh, I think, you know, you and I are there to be like, hey, guys, you know, this isn't just like the super conservative Ezra Taft Benson style uh, LDS people. There's others of us who also believe in freedom and yeah, yeah. Want, want, want it for everyone, for everyone yeah. of every creed, every color, every gender, all of it.
0: Yeah, and, right. and that's that's hard work, you know, to consider that another culture is uh, around you. And that's the kind of hard work the current uh, crisis demands. If people are not able to get out of their own little uh, silos or, or echo chambers, uh, then they are permanently, you know, put themselves in a place where they're not moving ahead and they're actually regressing. No matter how loudly you can yell freedom, you're not free. In fact, you are getting more and more enslaved to one particular community alone because this is a global problem. That's the thing, the, you know, the, all the furor about the globalists and so on. The power is derived because people do not think globally. That's the origin of the power of the globalists. The lack of global thinking in people is what they feed off of like a parasite. And that, that is, that is what has to be cultivated from the ground up this entering into another community. And if, if that had been done, uh, race and uh, the Asian or whatever, all these things couldn't have been so easy a project to run. You have the raw material because people as a habit have not fully delved into other cultures with the same intensity that they delve into their own. Uh, so I would say kind of like um, in a, a different version of the Christian maxim, I would say, Love love thy neighboring culture like thy own.
1: Love thy neighboring culture as thy own. That's super important. And I do want to say that, you know, if we're going to get trapped with or be surrounded by, trapped is like such a heavy word, but if we're going to be surrounded by, you know, a very high density of some kind of culture or religion, it's it's not a bad thing to be surrounded by LDS or Mormon people are actually, you know, just absolutely for the most part, warm and welcoming and accepting. And I think they like, they want more diversity in their, in their communities. And, and it it is a lot more diverse than, you know, when I would visit Utah as a child, I didn't live there yet, but yeah, I mean, it used to be something like in excess of 90% LDS there, but yeah, it's, it's been so great to get to know you this past year. I want to thank you for your incredible tireless work. On behalf of Utah, you've just um, there's just no sacrifice that's too big, it seems. And um, by the time my audience hears this, I'll send this out to everyone who subscribes to Take Action for Freedom. This will be on the Vibe show, but it'll also be on the uh, Utah Patriots show uh, because you're, you're a Utah native and we're so, so very blessed to have you. There aren't very many people who do the work that you do and make the sacrifices you do. So thank you so much for that and for being on the show, Gopi Krishna.
0: Thank you. Thank you a lot, Prabhupada.